Good morning. I, it feels good to be back. I'm excited to share this word that God started placing on my heart in May with you guys this morning. Um, like Randy said, my name is Becca, and I am the youth and missions intern um, at Trinity. And being a part of being the missions intern means that I got to go and do two months of missions work in Mexico and Guatemala, um, which was awesome. And I am excited to share that experience with you. Um, I want to start by addressing an elephant in the room. There is another language on the screen right now, um, but don't worry, I will explain that in a second. Um, But part of being that um, trip was that I got to go and lead a trip from my university for three weeks through Mexico, and then we ended up in Guatemala, and then I interned in Guatemala for about six weeks, and then our church family got to come, and I got to share that experience with them, and it was awesome to share that um, with some of the folks from Trinity. Um, But basically, this morning, I'm going to be sharing part of that journey with you because this journey is what started this message, believe it or not. And so on the screen, I think I have a picture of my team that I took from university. So um, starting in the back row, um, next to me is my friend Macy, and then Mariah and my assistant lead, Kim. And then in the front row is Riley, Benjamin, and Arturo. Now, Kim and Arturo have parents who are from Central America, so they both spoke very good Spanish. The rest of our team um, did not, (laughs) including myself, Um, but the person who struggled the most probably was Ben. In fact, Ben was so bad at Spanish that after day three or four of our trip, Arturo decided that he probably shouldn't let him go to many places by himself because more language incidents might occur. So... um, They became good buddies on the trip, but part of the reason why we found out that Ben was so bad at Spanish is because he was always first. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. Ben was always the first person to volunteer to pray for somebody. He was always the first to run up to a house and invite the whole family to whatever event we were having that afternoon. He was always the first to run up to a kid and motion for a fist bump and attempt to ask them how their day was. Ben was always the first no matter the situation. Which brings me to the story that started this entire thing. Our first week of missions was in Tijuana, Mexico. And one night we had the opportunity to host a worship night at a local woman's home. Um, And part of that included us going house to house and inviting people to come so that we could have like a small group worship setting. And as we were walking, Ben noticed a little boy sitting in his backyard, and he came over to me, and he pulled out a red toy car from his pocket, and he said, Becca, I want to give this toy to that little boy. And I said, all right, let's do it. So we walked over to the backyard, and as we walked over, Ben pulled the toy car out of his pocket, and he bent down to the little boy's level, and he said, hola. And then the next thing that he said didn't quite make sense, like most things with Benjamin. He said, vamanos. And if you've never seen Dora the Explorer or spoken Spanish, then you don't know that vamanos means let's go or come on or come with me. So now Benjamin has gone up to this little boy. I mean, put yourself in this kid's shoes, right? A stranger has walked up to your backyard, has enticingly pulled a toy out of his pocket, (laughs) has bent down to your level, has said hello in what I think is possibly the most creepy voice I've ever heard. And then told him, and then told you to come with him. So now, this little boy, scared, of course, runs inside of his home, and we all bust out laughing, and Ben looks at me, confused as ever, and asks, was it something I said? (laughs) And I said, Benjamin, it was everything you said. You are now the new kidnapper of Tijuana, Mexico. 
But all that being said, we didn't think very much about this encounter as our trip went on until we were in a taxi on our way to the airport to leave Mazatlan, Mexico, our second week of missions, and go to Guatemala. And as we were in this taxi, Kim was sharing with our taxi driver tales of our adventures that we'd had. Our team had done so many amazing things, building a house and just being with people, playing with orphans. And as we were sitting in this taxi, she's sharing of these adventures. And he asks if anyone else in the car spoke Spanish. It was just the girls in this taxi. The boys were in another one. And she said, well, not as much. And then we got on the story of Ben and how he scared this little boy in Tijuana. And she said a line that would forever change my view of this story, that would forever ignite this idea of hola, vamanos. And as we were sitting there, she turned around to us group of girls in the back, and she said, I'm pretty sure that hola and vamanos are the only two Spanish words that Ben has learned in these past two weeks. And to everyone else, they bust out laughing, and they thought it was funny. And as I chuckled along, I couldn't help but think about that statement, mainly because it was true, but also because Ben was always first. You see, he didn't allow for the language barrier that came between him and the people that we were serving to overcome his mission God knew that whatever he called Ben to, he was going to be obedient in. Wherever he called Ben to, he was going to go. Whatever he asked him to do, he was going to do. Despite what little confidence he had, he didn't allow for his underqualification to put God in a box. And this made me wonder how much greater would the name of Jesus be known if we all chose to be obedient disciples no matter how much confidence we had. No matter how much language we knew. In the passage that Caleb just read, we find three different men who encounter Jesus. And I'm going to start with the second man, but we will come back to the first later. Don't worry. So starting in verse 59, he said to another man, follow me. But Jesus replied, Lord, or but he replied, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. The second man I like to call the funeral guy. He is the first and only man that Jesus calls to follow him in the passage. But instead of jumping at the opportunity to follow him, he finds, we find him asking Jesus if he can have more time, if he can first go and bury his father. And as I'm reading this, I'm wondering why Jesus denies him of this. I mean, what's the big deal, right? Jesus, he just wants to go and bury his dad. That seems like a noble thing. But the more that I research this, I begin to realize that Jesus wasn't denying this man of physically burying his father. Instead, he is protecting him from continually being spiritually burdened by those who are spiritually dead in his life. Jesus is calling this man out on his desire to continue being dragged down by relationships that are keeping him from fully pursuing God. In his commentary on these verses, Matthew Henry puts it perfectly. He says, we are tempted to think that our duty to our relations will excuse us from our duty to Christ. And as I thought about this, I began to wonder how many times I've let my job or my school or my family or my friends or even my church overcome my obedience to God. How many times I've gotten wrapped up in the motions of being obedient in other areas that I've shut out being obedient to God. And I brought myself to so many situations where I'm sitting across from a youth girl or a friend at a cup of coffee trying to come up with the perfect biblical response that makes me sound smart and them feel good, and I completely shut out the voice of God to the situation. 
suddenly it becomes what I can do for that person, not what God can do for that person. How many of us are so wrapped up in being good people and decent, upstanding citizens and nice friends and, yes, even Christians, that we've forgotten the whole reason that we're supposed to be that way in the first place? Jesus. Jesus in the flesh is literally calling this man to follow him. And this man goes, oh, can I have like 24 hours? There's some other people I need to see first, some other things that I need to do In the up-and-coming world that we live in, I always find my computer or cell phone in need of an update. And I often open my laptop and press later, remind me tomorrow when it tells me that I need an update. And then the next day, I press remind me tomorrow. And then I find myself in a cycle of getting aggravated that my computer still wants me to update it. Like, I'm ready for the button that says remind me never. And... As I thought about this idea of remind me tomorrow, I realized that oftentimes we click a remind me tomorrow button on God's update for our lives. How many times are we, is God telling us, I need to update you. I have something new that I want to do in you. I have somewhere new that I want to take you. And we keep hitting, oh, maybe tomorrow. Or maybe God has a word for us for a friend. And instead of being like, yes, God, it's your timing. So I'm going to say it. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to put myself out on a limb here. We say, Not right now, Jesus. Remind me tomorrow about that. And then tomorrow we hit remind me tomorrow and then we wind up in this cycle of remind me tomorrows where we're waking up, getting the job done, the kids fed, the chores accomplished, out to work and still hitting remind me tomorrow on the update that God has for our lives and even for the lives of the people we're trying to help. Now, don't get me wrong. It's good to have people in our lives whose burdens we can bear with one another. It's good to have that accountability. In fact, that's why the church was created, right? But the devil likes to use things that we think are good for us to become the ultimate distraction. He enjoys when we think that being a good person is good enough. He likes as he watches us struggle to mentor a friend while completely ignoring God's position in it. He smirks when we unhealthily drag a relationship through the mud, clinging for dear life when we could healthily be building the kingdom of God. The third man in this passage finds himself in a very similar situation. You see, he too is asking Jesus for more time. And starting in verse 61, it says, Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. I call this man the shoulda, coulda, woulda farmer. Because he tells Jesus that he wants to follow him. But first he needs to go back and say goodbye to his family. He too is asking Jesus for time. But this is done in a very sneaky way. See, this man sees others around him following Jesus. He's the third one to either be asked or to say that he will follow Jesus. This man knows that following Jesus is what he should do, that following Jesus is what he would do. It's what he could do, but he can't seem to let go of the things that are back at home, the things that are in his past that he's clinging to. He can't imagine letting go of what is behind in order to pursue a life and a future with Jesus. When I was driving to school a couple of months ago, I looked up in my rear view and I thought I saw a friend in the car behind me. 
And as I was driving, I kept looking to try and see if it was her because I wanted to have one of those fun phone conversations. Oh my gosh, I'm driving in front of you. And so I was driving and I was looking in the rear view and I'm looking in the rear view and I realized that I'd been looking in the rear view for a pretty long time. And I looked up and I saw that two cars ahead had collided. And as I slammed on my brakes and veered to the left, I came within a couple inches of the car in front of me. And I remember being so frustrated in that moment. I even called my dad and was like, People are being so dumb today. (laughs) Like, I can't get over how awful these drivers are. And then after I hung up the phone and he was like, oh, be careful, B. And I was driving in the car and I was like, maybe part of the reason I almost crashed is because I couldn't take my eyes off the rear view. You see, this man is driving this car called life. And he so desires to arrive at his destination accident-free. He's driving and he wants to get there and he wants to be there on time, but he can't seem to get his eyes off the rear view mirror. He can't seem to put his focus on what is in front of him instead of what is going on behind him. He can't fathom giving up the things that he loves in life to pursue a life after Jesus. God, you want me to ask that friend who's struggling if I can pray for them? I don't know. That makes me really uncomfortable. I've never really done that before. And I heard them tell someone in the break room last week that they don't really believe in God. Yeah, no, I can't. I can't do that. Jesus, you want me to wake up 30 minutes earlier than I already do to have Bible study with you? No, God, you don't get it. I already wake up at 6 a.m. to get everyone to school on time and to make sure that all of the kids are ready and that I'm at work on time. 5.30 just ain't cutting it. God, you want me to start a family Bible study? That is impossible. I'm sorry. Our schedules are already set. And guess what? My kids, they're busier than I am. No excuses must be permitted against the present obedience to the call of Christ. None. Jesus' response to this man is my favorite of them all. He says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. You see, plowing is required for sowing. In order for a seed to properly be sown into the ground, a farmer must first plow it over and over and over again. And plowing is hard work. It takes strength, endurance, a motivation to move forward. A farmer who looks back while he's plowing is one that has considered quitting. How many times in our lives have we wanted God to use us, but we can't seem to let go of those little sins, those little things that keep us being who we are? We're saying, God, use me, but only if I can keep sinning in this and this area. Lord, show me your ways, please, but only if they don't get in the way of mine. God, I want you to bring me to your people. I want to be able to help them, but only if they're down the street. God is going to use you where he sees fit, not where you feel comfortable. No excuses. Now I want to go back to the first man. Verses 57 and 58 say, As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. I call this man the go-getter. 
This is the person who fearlessly pursues the desires of the Lord. They are always looking for the next and new opportunity to be first. They are ready. They are gung-ho. They are on top of it. But sometimes that ambition can overcome their obedience. Maybe you are this person or maybe you know someone like this, but this is the type of heart that loves to chase Jesus, but sometimes gets wrapped up in the motions of doing so. They like the idea of chasing Jesus, but sometimes they can't quite figure out how to make that work with everything else they've planned. People often view this as the person who's always volunteering to help, the person who can't seem to stop smiling. That makes us, they smile so much it makes the rest of us sick, right? This is the person who's always willing to just get stuff done, but if we are being honest, their life is probably more difficult than someone who's not trying to fully pursue Jesus. See, the biggest lie of the Western church is that Jesus is a band-aid for our problems. That if we are going through something, we can just call on the Lord and he will band-aid our wounds. He will stitch us right back up. He will fix all of our problems. But that's not what I see in these verses. We see a disciple eager to follow Jesus, eager to go where he goes. And instead of jumping in joy and praising the heavens, Jesus looks at him and says, are you sure? Are you ready for that? He doesn't start throwing out band-aids like Oprah and roll out the gauze carpet and get some alcohol wipes to clean this man up. No, he goes, are you ready for some more? Are you prepared for some more bruises and cuts? See, some of us have walked into this faith on the belief of Jesus the band-aid. Liking what it claims to offer and even pursuing it on a daily basis by being on this committee or that one. Or volunteering for this, that, and the third. And all of that is great. Please don't misunderstand me. But now we find ourselves sitting in a pew most Sunday mornings, wondering why God hasn't fixed our problems. Wondering why that hurt still exists in our heart. Questioning why our kids have fallen away. But here we see Jesus look this disciple in the eyes and say, Well, my eager friend... Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but I don't know where I'm sleeping tonight. Are you prepared for a faith that is full of unknown challenges? This isn't a comfy lifestyle. It's an all-in one. Are you willing to live like that? Ben was willing. My team was willing. The disciples in Matthew 4, when they leave their nets and their way of life to pursue Jesus, they were willing Abraham, as he walked with his son Isaac to sacrifice him, his only son, to God, he was willing. Noah, as he was told to build a boat in the middle of the desert, he was willing. Moses, as he was instructed to stand in front of a sea and raise his staff and pray it would part, he was willing. David, as he stood in front of Goliath, he was willing. Ruth, as she pursued Naomi wherever she went, whatever her God said she would do, she was willing. Paul, as he sat in a jail cell, he was willing. Mary, as she was told that she would have the virgin birth to the Savior of the world, she was willing. And Jesus, he was willing. As he was nailed to a cross for our sins. So here's my question. How willing are you? Starting this morning, starting right now. 
the decision of someone who truly desires to be an obedient disciple of Jesus, is this comfort or calling? There's one thing that these three men have in common, and that is that in each instance, Jesus calls them to take action. I want to open this time for you to do the same. I'm going to play on the guitar a little bit. And if you feel led to come forward and pray, the altar is open. He's calling. It's up to you to pick up.